Today we are looking at the strangest story I have heard in a long time. The Scandalous Life of Anna Lominant. Anna was born in 1480. We know very little about her early childhood. However, by the time she was a teenager, she'd already started living in a scandalous way. She was caught with multiple men. She was arrested and tried. Remember, at this time, the church and the state were married together. So to break God's laws was the same as breaking the state law. Anna was taken to the center of town and was punished with a public flogging. She was then forced to leave town. Alone and injured, a Christian family welcomed her into their home. The Christian family ran a home for homeless people. They showed God's love and they opened their home to Anna. Anna moved in with them and learned more about the Christian faith. She also learned how to carry herself with respect. So she soon became a completely different person. She walked differently, spoke differently, stood differently she would even have passed as upper class. Then Anna wanted to show how remorseful she was for her sins of her youth. So she started a holy hunger strike. She would not eat or drink anything except communion. At first, people didn't really notice, but soon people were talking about how long she was living on nothing but communion. Remember, at this time, basically everyone believed that when you took communion, you were eating the literal body of Christ and drinking the literal blood of Christ. People began to wonder what would happen to someone if the only thing in them was the body and blood of Jesus. As she continued to live on only communion, something else strange happened. She was no longer relieving herself. That's right, she wasn't going to the bathroom. People began to see her transformation and she was labeled as a living saint. She was proof that even as a human being, you can transcend into an angel if you are just holy enough. The emperor was interested in this story and traveled to see Anna. He visited her, asked her for her advice and brought her gifts. Once the rich and famous heard the emperor had visited Anna and sought her advice, they all lined up to visit Anna all bringing her gifts. An interesting thing about these gifts is that they were not payments and they were for religious acts of service, so they were not taxable. Anna added to her holy works with long walks of repentance. Soon, the most important people were joining her long walks. They became parades with Anna leading them. Anna was no longer the poor girl who had been publicly flogged for her sins and thrown out of town. She was now the wealthiest person in town, and the rich and famous came from cities and countries from all around to seek her advice and give her gifts. It had been 14 years of living on this holy hunger strike, and Anna was now very wealthy and famous, still not eating and still not relieving herself. One day, an unknown monk came to visit Anna. He was on his way home after visiting Rome. His trip to Rome was supposed to bring him closer to God, but instead it had only shown him corruption and lies. He hoped that meeting with Anna, a real live saint, possibly even an angel, 
would give him the answers he needed. He asked her this question. Do you long for heaven? Anna looked at him. No, here on earth I know what to expect, but in heaven I don't know what that will be like, so no. The monk was shocked by this answer, and it was the icing on the cake of the trip that started him on a journey to search for truth. Anna probably never thought about that monk again, but that monk, Martin Luther, would write about his visit with Anna and how it was one more example of the fake piety in the church. The emperor's sister, the Duchess of Bavaria, heard the story of Anna and she had some questions for her. One day, Anna received a letter that she'd been invited as a personal guest to the Duchess of Bavaria, the emperor's sister. Anna prepared herself and then traveled to Bavaria to meet with the Duchess. When she arrived, she was brought to a room that had been prepared for her so she could freshen up before meeting the Duchess. Anna entered her room. It was beautiful, made for royalty. She took out her bag, opened it, and pulled out a small package. She unwrapped it and exposed a stack of treats. She began to eat them. Once she'd eaten the entire stack of treats, she took out a jar and relieved herself into the jar. She then went to the window, opened the window, and looked around. There was no one around. No one could see her. So she dumped her jar of, well, you know, out the window. In her room, on one of the walls, was a small hole. It had been made in the wall for just this reason. On the other side of the wall, watching all this unfold, was the Duchess of Bavaria. She was not surprised to catch Anna eating and relieving herself. She had not believed the woman was a saint or that she had gone 14 years without eating. The Duchess confronted Anna. Anna was terrified. If the emperor knew that she had lied, that he had been fooled, he would kill her. So would the other rich and famous people who had made her rich with their gifts. Anna begged the Duchess to please not arrest her. The Duchess was a kind-hearted person, and she agreed to not arrest Anna if Anna promised to return home and end her so-called hunger strike. Anna agreed. But once Anna got home, she just couldn't let the farce go. She didn't want to give up her fame, her money, or really the fact that she was being worshipped. Things took a turn for the worse when Anna had an affair with a man named Anton Wessel. He was one of the rich and famous that visited her. Anna found herself pregnant. She sent a message to Anton. He agreed to pay Anna a large amount of money every year to help raise the child, and she would keep the affair secret. Anna gave birth to a little boy. However, sadly, the little boy got sick and passed away. Anna, however, did not let Anton know his child had died, and he continued to send her money to raise the child. Then, the Duchess of Bavaria decided to visit Anna to see if she had changed her lying ways. She found her still pretending to be on the hunger strike. The Duchess was furious. She exposed the lies to her brother. The Emperor was furious, but he didn't really want everyone to know he had been fooled. He ordered Anna to donate all of her money to the church and then leave town and never again return. Anna did leave, 
she headed to a nearby town and joined a nunnery. She began in the nunnery to perform her holy hunger strikes, but they didn't believe her and they kicked her out. So Anna went to another town and that's where she met Hans. He was a crossbow maker. Hans' wife had died and he was raising his young son all on his own. Anna and Hans were married and began to live a very comfortable life. Part of that was based on the money Anna continued to receive from Anton, who believed he was giving Anna money to raise his son. The year is 1518. Anna and Hans have been married for four years. Anna is raising Hans' son and the three of them are living a basic yet comfortable life. One day, a messenger arrives with a letter from Anton Wesley. The letter usually comes with money, but this time it comes with a shocking notice. One that Anna and Hans don't know what to do with. Anton Wesley wanted his son to come and live with him and go to school. He was old enough now to go to a good school, and Anton wanted to make sure his child had the same opportunity as his other children. Of course, this was a problem because his son had died years ago. Anna and Hans didn't know what to do. Hans had also lived the last four years on the money from Anton. The couple came up with a plan. They would send Hans' son to the school. Since Anton had never met his son, he wouldn't know the difference. The problem was they needed Hans' son to be a very good liar and pretend to be something he was not. This is hard for a little boy to do, especially a little boy that doesn't want to go and live with a strange man and pretend to be his son. The young boy was sent to live with Anton and it didn't take long for Anton to realize this was not his son. He was so angry that he had been frauded and saddened to learn his son had died. Anton was a rich, well-connected person and soon Anna was arrested and brought back to the town, the same town where she had been publicly flogged as a teen, worshipped as a living saint and half angel, and then driven out of town as a fraud. She was tried for all of her crimes and found guilty. The year was 1518. On May the 5th, she was sentenced to death by burning at the stake. Now, while women had been burned at the stake, it was very rare and people were very uncomfortable with it. People pleaded for her to have a more humane death sentence. Burning at the stake could take up to 45 minutes to die. It was a painful, slow death. The court decided to show mercy by allowing her death sentence to be carried out in a quicker, more humane way. So Anna was taken to a river. She was put into a large sack and then held underwater until she drowned. She died in a matter of minutes instead of the long death of burning alive. Anna lived in a time when Columbus was discovering new worlds. Luther was starting a reformation. Artwork and music that we still study today was being created. She lived in a time when the world was changing. It was an exciting time to be alive. But Anna's life was a lie. She spent her life lying and cheating people. Her life was full of scandals, but we have to remember that God created her and he had a different life planned for her. Anna was very skilled and had she used her abilities to glorify God instead of making herself rich, she could have left a very different legacy. We also need to think about how many people so quickly believed her and went to her for advice and worshipped her. We can learn from her lesson not just on how not to be Anna, 
but also how not to worship other people simply because they are rich and famous or everyone else seems to be believing everything that they say. Take the time to ask questions, even if nobody else is asking questions. And remember that the Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In today's day, it seems that there's a blanket of fear covering the entire country, the entire world. But remember that spirit of fear does not come from God. God gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should be living a powerful life, a love-filled life, and a life that involves having a sound mind. Don't buy into everything you hear, even if everyone else around you is buying into it. Ask questions. Ask critical questions. And remember to always think for yourself. In next week's episode, we're going to tell the story of a little boy who learned about the good news of Jesus from his tutor. This little boy decided to do what he could to give freedom to the Protestant church and to spark a revival. Before he was even a teenager, he'd become one of the strongest people in the Protestant movement. His sister, however, vowed to kill as many Christians as possible and would go down in history as one of the bloodiest people that ever lived. An interesting family. You don't want to miss this next episode of Church History. And as a reminder, for more podcasts, videos, and blogs, visit lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.